I like weird stuff on the internet. I think like a, a more weird looking internet's actually going to help set companies and people apart. I th actually think like if all sites start to look the same, that is bad for everyone, right? Like, okay, so now all of them follow the same rules because the AI dictated it. So we're all gonna behave the same on those websites. Welcome to Deep Dives. My name is Rid, and this is where we go deep with the best designers so that you can learn from their journey and apply it to your own career. Today's guest is Jorn van Dijk, who's the co-founder and CEO of Framer. In this episode, we talk about their nine-year overnight success story, get a behind-the-scenes look into where Framer is headed, and we also talk about how AI will shape the broader design industry. But first, I wanted to learn a little bit more about what it's like exiting your first company to Facebook and joining as one of the early designers. Yeah, so, so me and my co-founder Kuhn, we started working together in 2006 at uh, a company called Sofa. And 2006, long long time ago, no no iPhones in 2006. So it was basically just a bunch of folks in a studio in Amsterdam trying to build Mac apps. That was our thing. And um, a few of those Mac apps led to Apple Design Awards, which was a huge deal for us. I was 20, 20 something in, in 2006. But outside of a very small ecosystem of sort of Mac indie people, Mac Apple Design Awards were not that cool. It, <laughs> it's mostly for nerds that were really deep into playing with software. And in 2011, we got an email from Zuck at fb.com uh, asking if we would be interested to come to Palo Alto and chat with them. So we got on the plane, went to Palo Alto, met with the team, and they had a very interesting proposition. They basically had a massively understaffed design team of five to ten people and a giant engineering org of almost like 800 so zuck and go were basically trying to figure out like how do we get as much interface design or product design talent at facebook in a short amount of time so they acquired our company sofa but in that year they acquired pushpop press a company from mike mattis got nicholas felton very good information architecture designer other people Rasmus Anderson, one of the earlier designers at Spotify, Lee Byron, got Wilson Miner, one of the earlier designers at Apple. If you if you were my age, these names will tell you something. If you're like <laughs> minus a decade, then they're old people like me. It's previous generation of product designers that were all concentrated at Facebook. It was a really cool time to be at Facebook. And what most product designers at Facebook were doing at the time was prototyping. It was the easiest way to to get an idea across to this massive org because like remember let's say 20 to 40 designers and then all these engineers that needed some direction on the mobile apps on i worked on on photos which was an experience by itself or kuhn worked on messenger which was a whole product by itself and prototyping was just a really fast way to get an idea across that was better than a picture that was better than a bunch of mock-ups and so after Facebook, Kun and I left end of 2013 because we knew we wanted to do another startup. And we knew we we're going to need to take some time to figure out like what's a problem that Kun and I want to work on for a long time. And this is like some startup advice that I have for other founders. If you're serious about a startup, then you need to find something that you want to work on for 10 to 20 years at least to have a shot at making it a really big success. So we ended up 
picking sort of like design tools, design tooling and prototyping as a problem to work on. And we built a very small MVP for Framer around that in like three or four months. And honestly, we put it out on the internet. We started selling it for $40 with a lifetime license, which is a mistake. <laughs> Should not sell software with a lifetime license. I now know. And from there, it very quickly became pretty popular. Like there were some product designers at companies that were similar to Facebook that had a use for software like this. So folks at Dropbox started using it. People at Twitter started using it. People at Microsoft started using it. Amazon, like all these bigger tech companies where there was a similar division between product designers having to figure out product direction and product engineers having to implement those prototypes. And so we had a really good first two years. There was like two releases from in the prototyping era. The, the first one we now refer to as Framer Classic, and then was another release called Framer X, and then was another release called Framer Web, which was bringing Framer to the web. And to now sort of like explain the pivot into into websites, what was happening, I think, was, you know, prototyping is is optional for a yeah. lot of designers. It's like it's part, it can be part of your work, but it's not necessarily like integral to 99% of product designers out there. And so if I ask you, Rit, do you prototype? And the answer is... Yes, but not as much as I used to. And not only that, but it's the tooling has kind of changed too, because there was a period in my career where I was frequently putting things into protopy or principle. And now more and more of that gets swallowed into Figma, which is in many ways great. It allows me to stay a little bit more focused. There's less transition work that I'm doing, but the fidelity definitely has decreased as a result. Yeah, and I don't really know why that is, to be honest, because with Framer early on, we bet it on high fidelity that that is going to be the most important thing to deliver for product designers. The closer you can get to you know, what the end result will look like, that will be the best for getting your work across. But the opposite was true. Like I think we underestimated speed to get an idea across is is way more important than the highest fidelity it seems right maybe yeah high fidelity makes a return in two years like skeuomorphism is doing right now <laughs> i don't really know like maybe that happens and people realize like oh maybe there is something there but for now it seems that what figma did very smartly is they implemented you know the most popular prototyping features from from envision and they have few of the animation prototyping functionality from products like a Framer or like a Protopie. And that seems to be good enough. It's like most designers can tell a good story with those features. And so that is what sort of started happening two years ago. And Kun and I had to figure out like, okay, so if we want to build a company in this space that is going to impact a lot of people, that is going to be very successful, what do we do now, right? Like the prototyping, it was good. It was a good business, but it wasn't a startup. And we wanted to build something that was explosive and prototyping was definitely not getting us there. So from here, the story is more about how did we figure out how to pivot to web? And I think there were like a few indicators that in hindsight always sound very obvious. In the moment itself, it is extremely messy and hard to figure out. But after the fact, in five years, I'll write a blog post that this was all part of a plan, but it, this is <laughs> never true, right? Everybody that says it's part of a plan, it's only in hindsight. So the first insight was, it was actually a surprising amount of people prototyping websites. Sounds very obvious. That was a piece of the puzzle. It's like, all right, people are already prototyping websites. 
Could we make them real? The second part was that we internally were always dissatisfied at some level with a really great prototype because you would have to throw it away, right? You make a prototype, you throw it away, you make another one. And it's, it felt like there's something here, right? But we didn't really know where to start. Was it web apps? Was it native apps? Was it websites? It seemed too simple to start with websites maybe. You need a big, big problem that you can actually solve for a large enough group of people to build a startup around, right? And that, everybody says this, but it's really hard to find a really big problem that many people have, but we found one. And the one that we found was if you park Framer for a second and what people were building in our, our product, the way that people make websites, and I could probably ask you this as well, how did you make a website a year ago? I would design it in Figma and then basically redo all of it in Webflow. Exactly. And that is not efficient, right? Yep. <laughs> it's just a massive inefficiency. You need to spend all this time drawing a picture of a website in Figma, which is great. But now you have a set of pictures and what you want is a real website. So now you need to rebuild the thing and basically learn two tools, right? As a designer, you might be comfortable in Figma, but not so comfortable in Webflow. So now there's a learning curve that you have to overcome to make your website real. And so the more we spoke to designers, the more we uncovered like, but everybody has accepted that this is fine. <laughs> While everybody <laughs> hates this process, right? Everyone's like, I don't like how this works. And sure, I love Figma and Webflow, but it is kind of like a waste of time. And so we thought we had a pretty good shot at solving that. Also, because most of our tech is built on web technologies. The rendering engine, the canvas is written in React. If you publish, we publish those React components. So it made a lot of sense from a technical point of view as well. So all of those things combined were good indicators. And again, like after the fact, right? Like this is more like we uncovered some of those things in, let's say a span of maybe three to four months, just like trying to put the puzzle pieces together. Then we had to figure out how to, to navigate the pivot because we did have an existing customer base that was all in on prototyping that we sort of like successfully had to help transition into now they're building websites with the products. You can still prototype really well with Framer. There's no real lost functionality there, but we are all about making websites now. And so navigating that was, was not that easy. Was sites on the map of possibilities at all when you raised uh, Series B? No. No, so we raised our Series B in 2018. And in 2018, things for Framer with prototyping were doing phenomenal. The VC that invested us, Atomico, they did not make a mistake. Our growth was real. The acceleration was real. And six to nine months later, it started to like... Uh, do that. So instead of, instead of this and going up, it went, it went sort of like up and, and then it sort of like flatlined. And then from there, having to draw conclusions from that is hard because, you know, you never really know if you've tried everything that you can to get it to work. Like maybe it's a trend, but maybe you can reverse the trend. So you don't really know, right? Yeah, it's surprising to me how hard that it still is to figure out. Like now that everything with Framer is working, it's also hard to articulate why is it working in such a big way? It's like, mm -hmm. well, you know, we build a product that people like. It's like, yes, that's one component. Getting ideas out on the internet seems to be a theme that is playing in our favor. Going really fast and figuring things out 
seems to be a bit in our favor. People can make money off of Framer, but there's like a variety of reasons that hopefully in a year I'll be able to articulate in a really great way. For now, that's still kind of messy. It's like you can look at the data and the numbers go up. Okay, great. Your company is working because the numbers go up. It's hard to pinpoint that in the moment itself, if that makes sense. Was there a moment where you knew that the pivot was a success though? Can you trace back this feeling, the security of just knowing like, wow, it worked? So we launched last May and uh, I think the reception was overwhelmingly positive and a lot of people were very excited to go play with it. From there on out, the company's really good at shipping software because it's a small team that has been working together for quite some time. So after the initial release, we got back into, so what are we building next to build this product into everything that our customers wanted to be because it didn't have a few things in May that it now has. So, you know, getting the product release cycle, that is a big component of our success. Just people being very engaged with the products, asking for things, and then also getting them in a reasonable amount of time. It's the, the bigger companies get, the harder it is to actually do that. But we're very, we're very small and lean companies. So if enough people point at a feature, then we're going to build it. It's pretty simple. <laughs> so that was, that's a big part of like getting the company to success. And there were a few other ingredients at some point we're just trying to figure out like okay how do we get the word out about framer and you know you get the word out by getting other people to talk about the product so sort of like problem solving how do you get other people to talk about the product you can ask them it's one thing you can ask you rich like hey do you want to tweet about framer you'll say yes one time after one time typically it's like yeah i'm not going to shop it around for free so we came up with a program to incentivize people to go and do that partner program where we share a bit of revenue. If you go to framer.com slash partners, you can read all about it. I think that has been a big driver of, of getting the word out on the internet that you can design and, and publish beautiful websites with Framer. I think like the nature of the product is, is pretty different. Websites aren't really optional and websites are pretty key to almost everyone on the internet. Everyone on the internet that is trying to make a living has a website in some shape or form. And I think... A lot of folks, you know, regardless of the Figma and Webflow workflow, if you put that aside, there's so many other different ways to make a website that all seem pretty complicated. It's not, not easy to make a website in 2023 that is fast and performant and loads globally and is great for SEO. Like you need to learn a lot about a lot of topics before you can make a great website. And so... I do think that our product market fit is the fact that all of those things are solved in one product. You learn how to draw a website, you click publish, we take care of the rest, which is a very appealing proposition for freelancers, for agencies, for marketing teams, for startups, for scale-ups. We're now closing our first enterprises that have a need for a lot of micro landing pages. So there's like a huge range of potential customers on the internet. The value proposition is so clear to me. I remember the moment where I was even sitting in this chair thinking about, man, what am I going to do for the dive website? What is it going to look like? I think there's going to be this big CMS. And I could identify some of the limitations, you know, four or five months ago with Framer, because we're still super early in the life cycle of Framer sites. And yet still the value proposition was so clear that I was like, you know what, I'm going to make the jump. Even though I would consider myself a Webflow expert, it just makes sense to, to do it that way. 
And so I made the decision without even really having used the product. I'd seen a little bit about it on Twitter and, and how positive the initial reception was from people. But from a just a pure value proposition standpoint, it, it really does make so much sense that I shouldn't be drawing a picture of this website and then throwing it away. There was an interesting moment, you know, at the end of the year, so end of December. Uh, typically, like, you know, everybody goes on holiday. People on the internet go on a holiday, you know, you have Christmas break. And, and with prototyping, we always saw a, our, our usage numbers drop off a cliff, right? Because everybody stops working, so no one is prototyping something for fun December the 28th. But in January, we came back and our numbers are through the roof. So we're like, what, what, what's going on? We're like, what's happening? Turns out that there's a lot of people that want to make a website in their spare time. And yep. so we saw like big usage increase in the time where previously we saw like a big, a big drop off the cliff. Yeah, it's been, it's been really exciting. I think, you know, now if you look at the, the growth and the acceleration of the company, where it's getting into like overdrive. The last four months, we've doubled the revenue from the launch until, I don't know, like November. So it is definitely now picking up steam, which is, uh, which is awesome. That's, that's so cool. Congrats. It's interesting too. Thank it's like, you. obviously you can tell from the outside that the business is working, but I think I speak for all of the, the design community on Twitter where I, I think people are really just enamored at the speed and quality that you're shipping as well. And you mentioned the small team size, but can you share a little bit more about how Framer builds product, how you operate as a team, how decisions get made? Because I think a lot of people are very impressed from just the output that you put out the last six months. Yeah, for sure. I think we build a really good core group of folks over the years, which is not easy, and put a lot of focus on, I mean, we've shipped in public maybe maybe a little bit too much. There's two ways you can approach shipping. And on one end, there's a company maybe like... Um, I don't know, maybe Figma. Figma, I think, worked for, what was it, like three or four years in, in stealth on, yeah. on the Figma launch, right? To get everything right, we kind of like ship everything and then like try to see how to improve the product from there. So it's maybe more organic or built in, in Blick, which isn't always easy because you can always miss and then it, now you're failing in public a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, we put a lot of emphasis on shipping fast and... Our product team, let's see, is yeah, product team is around 25. Um, we have one, two, three, three product teams uh, working on the like one one is working on the canvas, one's working on delivery, one's working on uh, billing, and uh, yeah, getting good community input on what to focus on next is a big part of what makes us effective. And then there's always like a back and forth, like what can we build in a short amount of time that will solve this problem and being very cautious of, you know, making projects just a four month project is like that requires a ridiculous amount of planning and looking ahead, which is risky, right? So you can have a vision about the future and, and tell a story around it. Our future plans tend to be more like 30, 60, 90 days. You know, you can do a lot in, 60 days with three people if you go in a certain mode and sort of like immediately start to okay what are we building what can we do here that is meaningful for the end user how can we execute something how can we prototype fast how can we execute fast how do we keep um sort of like the nice to have at a minimum 
Um, and I think, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of learnings between Kuhn and me, but also from, you know, building products for, for 15, 20 years that are now ingrained in the, also in the company culture. There's no silver bullet, I think, for, for answering that question where you can say, oh, you know, you ship fast because, and now there's a great answer. It's more like bigger companies tend to ship slower because there's many people involved and a lot of it is driven, a lot of decision-making is driven by process. We both have a sort of like a cultural thing around shipping fast, but also we're very small. We're a 45 people company. We're not 500, we're not a thousand. So comparing our shipping speed to a much larger company is, I don't feel bad for large companies, but it's unfair to the large company, right? Like a smaller team will always be able to move much faster than a bigger team. You mentioned this idea of shipping in public. And one of my favorite things that, that you all do is you kind of tease some of the upcoming features that you're working on, whether it is you know, light mode, dark mode, or most recently, we've seen some of the AI icons floating around yes, and some, yes, some funny, yes. funny memes here and there. So I'm wondering if you can give us a little glimpse into what you all are cooking up behind the scenes and kind of what the plan is for this year. For sure, yeah. I'm happy to share everything with you. I can't really show you what it is yet, but uh, I think you can imagine a little bit. It's not it's not rocket science, but uh, you know, I think we're all pretty excited about how AI can. There's like two things that I see in AI right now. Like one is like very flashy demos of something magically happen, and then the other is like, oh, there's actually like real practical use here to speed up people's workflows. And I think you know, ChatGPT. What a wonderful, what, a, what an amazing product, right? It is just enabling our team, our entire company, me, to write better copy, to get better answers out of the internet, to like, it's helping in really practical ways. Midjourney or Dolly are phenomenal. I'm having so much fun just like playing with what can AI, how, how can it be helpful? I'm getting a lot of ideas by just playing with the AI. And so, when we started looking at, you know, how can we integrate some of those tools into Framer, I think there's a few areas that are pretty straightforward, you know, for generating different texts, for generating different imagery, you know, we can offer that in the UI, we can, you know, we control the canvas on which people draw a website. So if they're writing some text, there can be a button that says, give me five variations, make it more fun, make it less strict. That type of functionality that will be sort of like in every product, it will be a commodity um, sort of implementation for every product that, that works with text from probably Grammarly is working on something like that. You see it everywhere, right? And so yeah. I don't think that is uh, by itself that powerful, it's useful, not what I think will really unlock something for people working with Framer daily. So the thing that we're working on that we're pretty close to launching is a way to generate an entire web page. And today putting a web page together in Framer is not that hard because if you use our sections, you can very quickly compose a page with a few different sections. So let's say you have a header section, you have some feature cards, you have maybe a quote from someone that says, I love dive.club. And then you have a footer, right? It's like a typical landing page. What those sections lack is customization. Now you need to go in and you need to customize every part of those sections. So you need to customize the text, all the imagery and the style. 
And so we're putting an AI together that, based on a prompt, does all that work for you in less than a minute. So you give it sort of like a good input. Uh, I'm making a page for Ritz at Dive Club, legendary product designer and design education enthusiast, and you hit enter. Now the AI is going to take that prompt and pick from the sections that we have in the product, which is like close to 100. So, you know, it can pick really relevant sections based on your prompt. And then it's going to fill out initial passes of the copy and the images and also the style. And so really exciting. And I think empowering a lot of people to come up with something to riff off on. That's what to me is really exciting. Like the AI is not going to put most people out of a job. It's going to create a really great tailored starting point for you, but to make it yours or to add something extra to it, needs a human to amplify that. And I'm excited for it. I think, you know, it's going to speed up people getting an idea out. It's going to speed up validating ideas. It's going to enable a lot more people to play with Framer, which I'm always excited about. And I think, you know, what I really like is that even if you are the best Framer designer in the world today, which you can be, then you're not going to out, uh, outperform the AI in drawing a website. Like the AI is just going to do it in 60 seconds. And the best designers from some of the pages that I've now seen, it will still take like 30 to 60 minutes to draw everything from hand. And now you've done the same sort of like grunt work as the AI, but it just took you an hour. Why, why is it taking you an hour? That time can be a minute. And now you have starting point to get going. So those are sort of like the features that we're actively working on. Then the stuff that comes after that, I think is also really interesting. So we're working on localization, which is a pretty hard problem to solve well, because it's, it has to do with, you know, you want to have a dive.club slash um, EN for English language, ES for Spanish. Maybe you want to reroute some of the URLs. Maybe you want like, ideally you want auto translations. So we're working on that feature. Makes a lot of sense to potentially have AI once we have that feature to add AI on top. So now you can like automatically translate pages. Um, working on search as a feature. So very simple way to add search functionality to your website. It makes a lot of sense to um, offer AI functionality in search as well, right? It, it's amazing that we're working towards a version where search just works, but what if AI can actually compile better answers than the things that you have on your website? Pretty amazing. Yeah, That's, exciting. <laughs> right? It's pretty dope. Yeah. So there's yeah. so many cool areas where, because everything is unified in the framer experience, we control where you draw the website and we control where you publish it. Now we get to drag a search box onto the, uh, or a search component onto your website. And then we can enhance all of those things with AI. So I think we have a work uh, cut out for ourselves for this year. There's a lot of like exciting stuff to explore. Image generations, another like, really big one in styles. No one's working on this. But I think it'd be amazing if you can like talk to the AI and describe what type of style you want on the page. Same for like images. I see a lot of sites where a designer, it's very easy for you to pick four pictures that go well together. But what if you could say, hey, I actually want this in a different style and it gives you options for the entire page. So you don't have to go to Unsplash. You don't have to select all the pictures yourself. You don't have to make your own pictures. You can just describe this is the sort of style that I'm after. Let's say you're making a site for your wedding or something, right? Now you can tell AI, I'm getting married on an island. Great. Render some cool pictures of the island. Render some 
pictures of the ceremony with the sun going down and have that all being rendered in one style, I think would be huge, right? It's amazing for, for people to just be creative and play around with until you land on something that you, that you think is, is cool for what you're trying to do. It's amazing. There's so many things that you just said that are quite exciting to me. I'm trying to focus on this interview and not have my brain just run off on a tangent of all the different <laughs> things I could do with an AI-enabled search that's available directly on the canvas. I think one uh, of the things uh, we're, really we're, this is future stuff, right? I'm just spitballing some ideas that we've had internally. I'm sharing. Yeah, with you did it here first, late June, <laughs> AI-empowered search. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to get really excited about just the amount of time that I'm going to be able to save as a designer, even just sourcing inspiration, all of that happens externally right now. I put yeah. so much work into categorizing different visual inspiration in Notion so that when I'm ready to approach a blank canvas, I can kind of spark a lot of those creative juices. and realizing that in the future and maybe not the so distant future, I'm just going to be able to do a lot of that initial ideation directly on the canvas and not have to redraw something that I like, but actually use it, like you said, like as a starting point, the future feels very bright and, and I'm definitely excited about a lot of that. Yeah, likewise. I think AI is, as a category is maybe very clear to me that there's a couple of companies that are going to do extremely well because they're like AI companies, right? OpenAI, Midjourney. Uh, there's like, what's the new video AI thing I haven't Runway. played with it yet? Yeah, Runway, right? Like all of the, uh, there's going to be an AI version of like all the media types, I think. There's one where audio or voice saw something about like, you know, you can now rap in Kanye's West voice last week. <laughs> yeah, I watched so, that video. You see that? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's cool, right? Yeah. It's very so cool. there, there's going to be companies that are only going to be focused on AI, I think for all the normal companies, there's just massive opportunity to incorporate AI into the workflow. It has to make sense for your company. I think for our company, it makes a lot of sense. Outside of just the framer canvas and the different things that you think will be possible because of AI, what are some of the ways that you see AI impacting the broader design industry? Yeah, good question. I think AI is going to be able to do a lot of the sort of like getting started, the, the getting an idea on a canvas. Mm, let's compare it to like Midjourney, right? So Midjourney can create any picture that I want, but maybe it's not exactly what I want. So if I want exactly what I want, mm, kind of need to work with someone. But if I'm looking for, a, you know, a, a generic use case, cool picture, um, now I can get that out of Midjourney, which is amazing. So I think a job of a designer might be more about connecting the right sort of tools, but always be driving output towards a solution for a problem that you're trying to solve. And some of the design work that we have been doing as a community in over the last few years, like maybe drawing wireframes. I, yeah, I think that is something that AI is going to do an okay job at, like the execution of the first 80%, but then validating that the wireframes are good, maybe adding something to it and, and removing some other things and then actually testing it on humans. This is still, there's a lot of work that AI can't do, right? So I'm excited for it because I think it will speed up like manual work and it will help people drive real results a little bit faster. You know first 10 years of my career was all about drawing interfaces and, and icons and I was drawing an icon the other day in Figma 
uh, for Discord because I didn't like their app icon. I'm like, I'm gonna fire <laughs> up Figma, like draw draw replacement icon. And while I'm doing it, in the background, I also have Midjourney rendering pictures for me. I'm like looking at these two workflows. I go like, well, I don't like this Discord icon. I can't ask Midjourney to render it because it's not gonna give me something that fits in my dock. It's not gonna be what I want, right? I want it to be aesthetically pleasing, right border radius. But you can see these workflows being so, one is ridiculously manual. It takes like half an hour to set up and get an ICNS file out of Figma and a plugin. And like, I manually have to like set everything in the property panels. It's a lot of work. And then the other one is like utter magic where you punch in two words and it spits out a picture at like 2,000 by 2,000. But they still have a place in the world today. Like both of them I see have have a place in the world today. And maybe in a year or maybe in two years or three years, I don't know, AI is so good that you can tell it, render me a Discord replacement icon or build a better Discord and it will spit out a better Discord. But I I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the latter is where it starts to get very scary to imagine. But I'm not deep enough into AI to predict what that's actually going to look like. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, like you you described AI assistance already becoming close to a commodity in so many of the tools that I use. It's in threads, it's in Notion, it's in Reflect, it's everywhere. And thinking about how that impacts UX design even. And a lot of the problems and opportunities that we're going to be working on are going to be helping users to better interact with AI, which opens up so many different possibilities and what that looks like and just how big something like a saved prompt becomes as like a core use case in the product that we're designing. And I don't know what that's going to look like either, but it definitely feels like we are in the very, very first inning right now. For sure. Yeah, I'm excited for the sort of the um, explorations we're seeing around like the UI paradigms for many of these tools, because it's so interesting that the one that is the most popular is a chat interface, right? Yeah. You're just chatting with ChatGPT, you're chatting with Midjourney, or you're giving it a prompt. I don't know if you, do you know Raycast? I use it every day. Oh yeah. Okay. So me too. They have like interesting beta around AI because they can interact with everything on the operating system. So you select mm-hmm. a piece of text, you pull up Raycast, it's sort of like an integrated, but it's also a chat-based interface. For Framer, we're exploring a way to guide users to give us more information around the original prompt. So, you know, the prompt that we just came up with is something for you, Rit, and a genius product designer, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't typically include also the style. And it doesn't really typically include also what type of page. The same is true for Midjourney. For Midjourney, you have to learn how to write the prompt with commas and different topics, different lighting, different resolutions, different styles. Um, if you get good at prompting, now you get good output. And... I'm excited for these UI explorations because there's going to be some UX work that that someone is doing that is going to make it less, learn the prompts to get something for the machine, more operate, you know, this UI, and now you're getting really great results. And I don't know what yeah. those things will look like yet, but that to me is always, that's pretty interesting to 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 witness um, new, new way of, of interacting with uh, machines. 
what would you say to a designer who's maybe one to two years in their career and they see all of these AI advancements and maybe they're a little bit intimidated by the rate of technological process? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Pretty good advice, I think, early on is, is follow what you what, what think to you. And I wouldn't be too worried about, you know, trends in the market. I think later it starts to be more about like, can you, can you, can you solve problems, right? Can you, can you produce something uh, that is driving value to other people? I started Framer when I was 30, so it's like 10 years ago. And as a founder, that is most of my job is to, to figure out, you know, everything that we spoke about today. It's like, how do you figure out product market fit? How do you sell a product? How do you build features that customers want? Like bring a design background to solving those problems. And that is something that product designers can be good at, um, but that is a journey. I work in a field that I picked, that I built a career in, and that a lot of that passion is driving the, the resistance to like, not give up and like, continue to do it. So yeah, that'd be probably my number one advice is pick an area that you really like if you if you can work on I, someone famous probably said this I don't know I can't quote it but like if you can pick a uh, a you know problem that you really like you, it's never really gonna feel like work right yeah. uh, and that to me still feels true I, I uh, work pretty hard I would say but it never really feels like work because it's something that I'm really excited about and then like very practical for for most people getting started it's like. Tr- Try to get good at something. And that means like you got to put in hours to, to get good. So my advice would be, all right, so if you want to be in, in web design, make a lot of websites. Remake websites from other people would be like if you're really starting out, all right, you, li- you love apple.com, but rebuild it. Build, build apple.com in Framer. Build apple.com from scratch. Use Tailwind. If you, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. But... Try to rebuild something that you think like that's that's what I want to learn. That's what I want to become good at. That'd be like a, a very practical piece of advice that um, uh, that I would, yeah, that that gave me something. I started redrawing other people's icons when I was twenty, um, just to practice. Like, how is this lighting working? How are they doing? How are they doing shadows? I didn't get it. Like, how do you get shadows out of a computer? I did not understand. Like, how do you get inner <laughs> shadow? How do you get this gradient? Like, I. I could only see like the picture and then not figure out like, but I, I don't know how to make this. And so by going online, talking to people, oh, it's Photoshop. Oh, it's this trick. Oh, it's that, like that, that is a way to learn, right? Learn by doing. You talked a little bit about the shift in the industry from very high fidelity prototyping, where that all of a sudden became less of a desired skill and maybe uh, employers and different companies were placing value on different parts of the designer's skill set. Do you see a similar shift happening with this like post AI era? When you think about the the skills that a designer brings to the table and, and how they can set these targets to make sure that they're really valuable five years from now in their career, I'm wondering if you have any insider predictions for that. My prediction would be that AI is really going to speed up the initial creation, which I think is very helpful for most people. I think it's going to enable a lot more people to get an idea out, but it's not necessarily going to create, let's say, companies magically, right? For that, 
you still need people that can solve problems, that can figure out how to package a product, how to make a good product that works well together. There's so many areas that need to be connected to to work and become valuable. And maybe AI replaces all of it in the next five years, but I really don't know. What do you think? I guess I wonder if designers are going to have to become more generalists and right. broaden skill sets a little bit, whether that is becoming a little bit closer to production output. I think that having a a technically savvy mindset and being able to work very, very, very closely with engineers and potentially soon even contribute directly to production code, like we're obviously doing with Framer and websites. I can see that kind of a jump happening more in traditional like products and maybe even mobile apps in the future. Um, and if you're not going to go in that direction, maybe it's, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to invest a lot into strengthening my product strategy muscles and being able to contribute a little bit more to maybe what would be traditionally like a PM's role. And maybe even the design and PM would converge a little bit because all of a sudden that 80-20, you know, you can spit out an 80-20 version of a website. Well, a PM is just as qualified to do that as a designer. And so where do those lines where are they drawn? Like where do where yeah. things feel like they start to blur a little bit? Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know if I subscribe to the sort of like the isolated designer to, to begin with. I think it's maybe a mistake to to only draw, you know, pictures of, of things that you want. I think like the best designers are also kind of like hackers that can at least like connect some tooling together to get a result that they want. Like, honestly, like design has never, it's always been about like, it's problem solving. Can you can you come up with a solution and implement a solution that solves a problem for yourself, for your audience, for the company that you work with? I have a lot of exposure to sort of like product design and the product design community, maybe less so on the very visual and, and brand side of like design, where it's maybe more so only about producing aesthetically pleasing assets. I think for product designers, focus on figuring real problems out, focus on on driving real results for the business. And that is a very hard thing to do, but that 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 is a skill that I think will be useful for a very long time. Being able to drive a real solution for a company is always going to be a valuable thing. Solving problems kind of feels like the defensible moat against AI for a lot of designers. But I think you could argue that problem solving is a little bit more absent in website design. And so I'm wondering if Framer gets really, really good and all of a sudden those 80-20 generated websites are like kind of crushing it, you see the potential where a lot of business owners would start to become okay with that 80-20 solution and maybe they would, they would not hire that additional human iteration. No, I'm not so worried about that. My personal mission and, and Kuhn's mission, the company's mission is to make the web more creative. I like weird stuff on the internet. I think like a, a more weird looking internet's actually going to help set companies and people apart. I th actually think like if all sites start to look the same, that is bad for everyone, right? Like, okay, so now all of them follow the same rules because the AI dictated it. So we're all gonna behave the same on those websites. I think thinking outside the box, coming up with something unique that can be rendered in a browser, 
browser is just a, a window, right? In which you can, you can do whatever in a browser. That's like two things we internally just talk about is, is the browser is so incredibly powerful, but it's so hard for most people to leverage everything that the browser can do, right? You just said day and night mode. It's like, oh, it's cool that you released that. Day and night mode is not the most complicated CSS prop to set up, but to set it up, to Google why it's not working in Firefox, to yeah. go over to Stack Overflow and copy paste some random answer. It will take you, if everything around your website is set up and you have set nothing up for supporting night modes, it can take you up from, let's say an hour to maybe a full day of like, now you need to copy over all the CSS hex codes Easily. from Figma and like, right? This is a ridiculous <laughs> yeah. amount of time. Now you got to worry about Microsoft Edge too. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so what we're excited about is like, okay, that's obviously functionality that a lot of people want on their websites. How do we make a solution for that in Framer where now it's just like a couple of clicks and you have a website that support, supports that? There's so much cool technology in the browser today that we can unlock by offering a solution in the product where now a lot of people have access to this functionality. And so I think that's like easily a year of work, maybe two years of work to keep the product both simple, but leverage everything the browser can do on the canvas. And so surely, yeah, there's a lot of websites that look the same and maybe AI can generate, let's say 80% of those types of websites in the future. I think we're gonna continue and see if we can put features in the product that make it easier for people to differentiate themselves mm. with their web presence, with their company, with their business, with their startup uh, on the web. That is you know, not the same SaaS startup model of like a NAF and a H1 uh, paragraph. Three CTA, feature cards. Three feature cards. There's a place for that. There's a reason why those things are so popular because they work, right? But yep. they're also, formats that have been invented over the last couple of years and now they're very effective but there's new formats that can be invented and there's new technology that can be unlocked i'm very excited about building those things into the platform and just get people more creative more sort of like playing with what they want to build on the internet yeah it's something that i think about is like different design trends that happen. Obviously the big ones, you have flat and more textures, humorphism and things like that. But I'm really bullish on Framer's ability to accelerate some of those design trends just based off of this remix culture that is really coming to life over the last like eight months since you've released this, where you can see an idea happen and then it just is in four other places and then 20 other places. And now there's, there's a whole other generation of the different derivatives and just seeing how quickly really, really compelling visual ideas spread because of Framer is another reason why I'm really excited for the web. Me as well. <laughs> yeah. Remixing is awesome. It's uh, it's just like you described. It's, you know, it's a lot of community. I think is, is such a big part of what makes Framer fun to play with and experiment with. If you have not joined our community, go to framer.community and, uh, and, and join the fun. And remixing is a really powerful way to experiment with something and share with others and see where they take it. You can remix everything, you can remix like an entire project, you can remix a piece of code, you can remix some visuals or some th something aesthetic. It's just a fun way to sort of like collaborate 
in a in a non-linear way it's like you collaborate with other other people start to build on your work without me you know teaming up directly with you Ritz, yeah. to to make something one last question for sure what's something that you believe about design that others might disagree with all right i'll give you i'll give you two design systems are slowing us down that is a hot take that'd be number one <laughs> i know <laughs> unpack that a little bit you don't get to say that as a one-liner and then move on no i know but um but uh so I, I when i was at facebook there was like you know design systems i think stem from a time where it was challenging to make things consistent and cohesive on like uh you know when you're looking at a large suite of products right so facebook had a massive suite of products, the facebook.com, the iPhone, the iOS app, the Android app, uh, standalone apps. And for a company of that size, it makes sense to go and figure out like, okay, so how do we make this consistent, right? Consistency in itself is more of a designer's itch than it is something that will drive a business result, right? If everything looks consistent, you can say, okay, good job, but does it move a business metric? Maybe a little bit, but it's hard. It's very hard to prove. And so, I think you know, we when we were at Facebook, we were starting. Uh, a few of us were working on the Facebook interface guidelines, right? And so, come up with a design system. How did the buttons look, et cetera, et cetera? Eventually, that moves. Um, all of that need need to be built. So the 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 true design system always lives in code. And there is a lot of like time wasted. I feel very similar to like drawing drawing pictures of website in Figma, and then now having to rebuild it in, in Webflow. There's an equal path. Like the design system lives in code. That's where it's useful. You should probably update it there. Versus there is a reference file that's out of date with the actual design system that lives in Figma. And now there, I see a lot of folks just spending a lot of time arguing about something in Figma for the design system that never makes it to production. And it's just like, why are we, how did we end, how did we sometimes end up in this place? And I can see all the good intentions around it, but you know, you want a hot take. Design systems are useful in production. What they enforce is some consistent brand language. That's also sort of useful, but how that blew up and became such a big sort of like everyone's talking about how to do that and approach that. I really know, like I, I never really understood, like how is that, how is that so important to design? And we're trying to say the opposite with Framer, you know, screw consistency, go creative on the internet, make something that is different from everything else. You want to know what AI is going to be really optimized for? Design systems. It's going to yeah. be, all right, a system, <laughs> good time. <laughs> yep. I can copy that and uh, make everything a border radius of 10, no problem, my friend, I got you. <laughs> and so, I don't know, like, I, I yeah, I, I never really understand, understood that. And then, you know, the other, maybe like an even harder take is that being good at design you should, is about problem solving, end of the day, in, in my book, right? And I feel that sometimes in the industry, People honestly just spend too much time talking about how everything looks and not really how it works. So 
which is weird for me to say because I built the first 10 years of my career exclusively on how shit looks. <laughs> <laughs> all aesthetics, all, all about, you know, how does the software look? Just honestly, like not enough, like how can we make this successful? How can we make it, how can we make it work? And I think also with AI, it's going to put more pressure on people to figure out how to get things to work, which I'm excited for. I'm excited for more startups that can solve problems for people, right? It can be for technology sector. It can be for like, it can be in any type of sector. I think we'll, if we can enable designers to focus on why is this not working? How do I solve it? That to me is like true design how it looks yeah it's also important right there's a place for it but the best place for how it looks to me is at the end when you figured out how it works now we can add in something extra now we can add in some some nice nice animations that are going to make it like feel really good and now Mm -hmm. it's the time to like make sure it's consistent with the rest of the system and make sure that we use the design tokens from the thing but all of those things are more for they're for the end, right? They're the polish, they're cherry on top that make it feel really good. I think there's too much time being spent on that part and maybe less so on the part that is what I think the most important part. Makes sense. Well, Jordan, thank you a ton for joining. This has been awesome. And for anyone listening that has not played with Framer, you got to do it. It's pure magic. And I promise you'll have that aha moment in the first like 10 minutes. First time you hit publish, it's amazing. Second time you hit publish to me is always the most addictive. First time you go like, oh, (laughs) yeah, because like the first time you go publish, oh, wow, it's a website. But then the second that you go back, you make a change. All you have to do is click publish again. That to me is where it gets really good. Um, Thanks, Ritz. Thanks for, for having me. I'm a big fan of what you do. Let's get that out of the way. I think <laughs> I think you. you I think Dive Club is dope. You picked one of my favorite designers in the Framer ecosystem, Trough, and you picked a few other folks that I really respect. I think you're putting something dope together. The site looks amazing. If you haven't seen it, go to dive.club. Uh, <laughs> all right, so that's me plugging you. <laughs> so, I, did, big, I, big I think it's supposed to go in the opposite direction.